0: Hi, my name is Corey. I'm a pastor in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. You are listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast with John Piper.
1: Uh, Corey is a friend of ours and a precious ministry partner of nearly 30 years now. I want you to meet him in a moment and hear a story. It's amazing. Uh, But first, our question today for episode number 2001. And uh, it's a book question from me, Pastor John. We like to talk books on this podcast. Uh, In past episodes, we've looked at seven ways books have changed your life. Uh, That testimony was in APJ 707. And then we looked at how 1% of book insights make reading the other 99% of the book worth it. That was an APJ 1910, classic point that you've made over the years. And more recently, we looked at uh, 10 of your favorite authors who write to edify your soul, Pastor John. And that was in APJ 1972. Now, today, speaking of your library, I recently paged through your copy of Mortimer Adler's classic book, How to Read a Book, and I did so while working on my APJ book uh, about this podcast, which comes out in February. We'll talk about that more later, but as I was writing the introduction to that book, I found it instructive to see what sentences that you underlined in Adler's book, what sections you marked up, and how you jotted down Uh, little notes in the front and the back of the book. I noticed that you made something of your own index of your discoveries. Can you walk us through your bookmarking strategy? Uh, When did you start the practice? Uh, Why do you do it? What types of marginalia are you adding to your books? Uh, And of course, I think we all want to know, are you using pencil or pen?
2: Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. The answer is pencil, and there uh, are reasons. Uh, um, automatic pencil, uh, so it never goes dull. Point <laughs> <laughs> uh, five. <laughs> yeah, small. <laughs> okay, we're going to get to that later. Okay. Mortimer Adler's How to Read a Book is one of the very few books that I have read twice. Hmm. But your mentioning it gives me a good opportunity to sound a warning. To you, to others who are going to ask this question of me or others, that the way a person, say, like me, underlined and wrote in a book, margins, indexes, whatever, uh, 20 or 40 years ago may be very different from what I do today. Hmm. That certainly is the case. Got it. Me. I am amazed when I look back on how many books I read, say, 40 or 30 years ago that don't have any of my own indexing in the front flaps. Because today, that is the dominant way for me to keep track of insights and enjoyments that I'm getting from the book. Mm. So by indexing, and that's not a very accurate phrase. I wish I had a better one, but I haven't thought of one. Um, I mean simply jotting with a pencil in tiny handwriting, a very short, say, three to eight word description or pointer in the front of the front flap of the book, and sometimes I have to weave it around what's already there, Um, what I have read in the book along with the page number. So there may be anywhere from 30 of these in a short book up to, say, 150 or more of these little notes in the flap of the book at the front or if I have to go to the back. I think maybe the reason I didn't do this in the early days, and my memory's not good, so I may be wrong, but I think the reason might be that I wasn't thinking primarily of reading for the sake of writing, Hmm. or reading for the sake of preaching, or reading for the sake of systematic increase of understanding of particular truths, or reading for the discovery and preservation of some striking uh, and compelling way of saying something, which is what I'm so keyed into now. So now, virtually every book I I uh, read, and I'm, I'm talking print read now, not electronic, Mm -hmm. which I hardly ever do, or uh, audio, which I do all the time. But I'm talking these books I have going all the time, sitting them by chairs, always reading something in print. That's what I do. I I index them. Even fiction. People say, oh, you're kidding me. You you read a (laughs) novel with a pencil in your hand? Yes, I do. I can't (laughs) read without a pencil in my hand. I'm not going to spend time reading even fiction if there is no life-giving insight or striking expression of reality worth preserving. Seriously. I don't just read for, for pleasure. I read for pleasure that spills over on other people because that's the biggest pleasure. To give is more blessed to, to receive. So that, there you go. I read too slowly. I, I read too slowly. And my life is too short to read without the hope that what I'm reading will help me think more clearly and feel more fully and express more compellingly the glories of God in the Word and in the world. And all of that worth preserving in some way. Um, it's been good to discover this about myself. Um, I don't presume, by the way, to suggest that everyone should be like this, but I realized along the way. That my built-in, I think God-given, impulse, my dominant impulse, is not to read, but to write Hmm. and to speak. Or to say it more generally, my bent is not to take in what others have created, but to be a creator. That's just my bent. I want to make something new usually with words, which which means that all of my intake increasingly has become fuel for my own creation, sermons, articles, books, poems, devotions. Now, I know this can be dangerous, big yellow flag here. I warn my students at Bethlehem College and Seminary, do not read the Bible in the morning just in order to produce a sermon on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Christ is glorious and precious and to be trusted in the very last hours of our lives when we can do nothing with his beauty but enjoy it on our way into heaven. Yes and amen. So don't just be a user, uh, be an enjoyer of what you read, savor it, love it, exult in it. However, However, I believe that one of the evidences of the spiritual gift of teaching is that a person can scarcely prevent his mind from taking everything he reads and instinctively, without even trying, asking himself how would I say this? (laughs) How would I say this in my own words? How would I explain this to other people? How would I illustrate it and live it? How does it fit into the framework of my own thought? Or does it? Do I need to change my framework? This is why I not only index my books, but I keep a little field book, a little field notebook. I buy, I buy these in packs of five from Amazon, a little field book, a little journal beside my chair, on my desk, so that when I get an, a thought or an idea that stirs me up to think out my own train, I have a place to put it, I have a place to write it down quickly. There's something about the mind of a teacher that can't just hear things or read things and leave it he's got to do something with it. So you can see what a huge impact that's going to have on how I mark up my books. Mm. So what goes into those indexes? So here's just a few thoughts. One, fresh insights into my life or into life in general. Mm. My index for a biography of C.S. Lewis that I just took down from the shelf, for example, has a notation at the front, page XXIII, where he said, without self-forgetfulness, there can be no delight. Hmm. (laughs) That got three asterisks in the margin. (laughs) It got a notation in the front flap. And I've been thinking about it for 20 years, right? Yeah. (laughs) So um, that's, I mean, if that's true, what an agenda Mm. for those of us who are pursuing delight in life. So fresh insights, we mark them, we note them, we meditate on them, we try to grow into them. Secondly, the index will include raw facts. So if I'm reading a biography, and if I know I've got to give a talk about it, or I want to use it in a devotion, I want to be able to spot birth, conversion, marriage, employment, controversies, death, impact, so that when I can run my eyes down the front flap, I can get an outline of his life Hmm. quick. I don't have to go researching all over the place to say, now, when did he die? When was he born? When was he converted? When did he get married? And so on. Third, great illustrations that might be useful to giving a striking impression of a viewpoint, even a viewpoint we disagree with. So, for example, I'm reading a book right now, Biblical Critical Thinking. That's not not what it's called. uh,
1: Biblical Critical Theory?
2: Yes, that's it. So I'm I'm about 200 pages into it. And um, on page 196, I read a little index at the front, um, about Jean-Paul Sartre on atheism. So, here's here's what I marked. He said, everything is indeed permitted if God does not exist, mm. and man is in consequence forlorn, for he cannot find anything to depend upon either within or without side himself. Mm. That's the quote. Wow. Now I thought, That's a serious confession from an atheist, and it's out of his mouth. It's footnoted, and that's tragic. It's just tragic and will probably make its way into some sermon or um, article maybe or book someday. So I don't mean to give the impression, though, with this idea of indexing that that's all I do. I do underline, and I still make comments in the margin like, great, or (laughs) Baloney. <laughs> and, and yes, I use a pencil, not a pen. Here's what happened. About 30 years ago, maybe it was longer, I think I was still teaching at Bethel. Um, I took a box of used books to Loom's bookstore in Stillwater, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. To sell a box of used books, they would not even look at the books that had marginalia in ink. It was a principle. It was a law. And I don't know all the reasons for that, but that's one reason. My main reason is that I am fallible, I make mistakes, I wanna go back and erase the word baloney because two (laughs) pages later he explained himself and I was wrong, it's not baloney. I don't want to immemorialize my mistake with a pencil. I mean, with a pen. So one of the main functions of underlining and marking in the margin is simply to help me pay attention. I mean, that's the big reason for underlining, for me anyway, and and putting notes in the margin. Pay attention, be engaged, be an active reader, even if you will never look at these pages again, which is true for most of the pages that I read. So I think the main takeaway from this APJ, Tony, is uh, know why you read Uh, Know why what you are reading right now is what it is, and then adapt your markings to fit your purpose. That's a
1: good word, Pastor John. Thank you. I'm a pen guy. Will always be a pen guy. An Energil Blue 07, that's what I use. And I keep the baloney (laughs) reference in the book (laughs) and then explain in two pages what happened to persuade you uh, in the margin. See, I think that's way more interesting, capturing that process of of persuasion. (laughs) But yeah, uh, pens turn a $35 hardcover into a $1 brick <laughs> yeah. used. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bad financial trade, but alas, I'm a pin guy. Here I stand. I can do no other. Thank you, Pastor John. Well, shifting gears now, I'm honored to talk with our friend Corey from Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Corey is a friend of ours and a precious ministry partner of nearly 30 years now. It's an honor to connect with you, brother, over the phone, and an honor because you have a long track record of supporting Desiring God, going way back before there even was a Desiring God Ministries, back to the old John Piper sermon cassette tape days. Incredible. So tell us right now, today, what is it that makes you so eager to be a ministry partner with Desiring God now, 30 years later?
0: It's easy to be a ministry partner. I financially support the ministry because. Desiring God gives their resources away, and the resources they give away are worth having. But financial support has to come from somewhere. And both the church I serve and my wife and I are happy to support Desiring God financially. And for me, the Ask Pastor John podcast has been helpful both personally and pastorally. Many people in our church listen to the podcast, and many watch and learn from the Look at the Book episodes. And many more read every day's Solid Joy's Devotion. Wonderful. I love that the podcast answers are grounded in the Bible. And Pastor John also brings enormously helpful application for living. Uh, and, and look at the book has been illuminating, and that's an understatement. And solid joys is a solid way to begin a day. All of DG's resources have helped people understand God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that might be a motto, but it's also the main thing. And DG aims to keep the main thing, the main thing.
1: Amen. Yeah, a motto that helps us stay on track. Outstanding. Thank you, Corey. Um, What would you say to someone listening right now who has enjoyed the books, the articles, maybe they'll look-at-the-book videos, Ask Pastor John episodes, uh, even shared them within their church, but they've never thought about the financial side of the ministry. They've never considered supporting the work themselves. What would you tell
0: them? I am glad they're thinking about it. I don't know of any ministry that gets more bang for the buck than Desiring God. And They find new and better ways to get their messages to as many people in as many places as they can. It's fabulous.
1: I love that. Corey, you're a pastor, and uh, you not only give personally, you and your wife, but your church also supports Desiring God. Uh, What would you say to the listener who maybe wants to bring up this conversation with their church leaders about what that would look like for a whole church to support the work?
0: Well, I encourage everyone to think about sensitively suggesting to your church leaders that Desiring God is a ministry partner worthy of regular support in your church budget. It helps foster a sense of partnership. Uh, We get more interested in the good things, the great stories that we hear from DG and they're doing great things, and there are great stories, and people in our church are tuned in to what is happening in the world, and God is working, and working through desiring God, and we love it. We will always include desiring God in our regular budget, and we do some over and above things with some regularity as well.
1: Hmm. Well, we exist to serve pastors in local churches, so that blesses us to hear that, Corey. Thank you for partnering with us and for spending a few moments with us today.
0: It's my pleasure. And if you want
1: to join Corey as a pastor on behalf of a church or as an individual partner with us to experience that ownership with what's happening in the ministry, you can take that next step and partner with us right now. Go to desiringgod.org forward slash donate. That's desiringgod.org forward slash donate. We appreciate it. I'm Tony Ranke and we will see you on Thursday.